you would please remain standing and take out your Bibles, turn to Romans 12, 21. Romans 12, verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that your word can be so direct, God, that we don't have to wonder what you're saying. But Lord, we also see that this section of scripture is clear and easy to understand, yet absolutely impossible to walk in unless you empower us. And Lord, I pray for your spirit to fill me afresh now and lead me and guide me as I preach your word, Lord. May it go forth and bear fruit in the hearts of your people. And Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You as a body of Christ, have an opportunity to meet one of my heroes of the faith. In one month, Prince Paul's going to be here for a week. And uh, you get to, you have the opportunity of inviting him to your home for like a noon lunch or an evening meal. This is a gentleman who uh, we met years ago. This church has been supporting. But he, is, he goes into, an, uh, he, in Ghana, Africa is where his ministry is at. He started over 66 churches. He walks into a town and said, have you ever heard of Jesus Christ? If they say yes, he says, can you point me to another t- town? If they say no, he stays there. He shares the gospel. The people who get saved, he uh, takes someone and says, okay, you're kind of the leader here. And then he moves on to the next church. And then throughout the year, those leaders come together and he trains them at his uh, training center. Well, he's going to be coming here. And you get that opportunity. So I want to tell you to take advantage of that. That's just one of his stories. Um, And I want to share another one. This was a few years ago. Prince Paul was in a village sharing the gospel. And three young Muslim boys jumped him and beat him. Uh, He had to fake that he was dead in order for them to stop beating him. And... uh, So they left. He ended up spending weeks in the hospital recovering. I remember talking to him after that, and he said, um, you know, Dan, boy, I just pray for those young men that they would come to know Jesus. You go, what an attitude, huh? Exactly what we're talking about today. And I have a question for you. We're remembering 9-11 today. Was Prince Paul's response your response after you saw what happened? That's a challenging question, isn't it? We understand that there are evil forces at the root of hatred, of persecution, of evil done upon another group of people. It happens all the time. What was your response to 9-11? Today's message kind of deals with that issue because what we find is this, is that verses 14 through 21 really show us how to respond in a way that pleases God 
when we are personally wronged in a major or minor way. Even though that wasn't personal, that happened all those years ago, we still looked at that. And so it applies to us today. We're going to find out this, that by grace, we can overcome evil done to us with good. That's how you overcome it. Take a look at God's word. Verses 14 and 15. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. This section of scripture, as I said, is not hard to understand. But boy, does it go against our flesh. You know, when you think about this, it says, bless and do not curse. Blessing and cursing are mutually exclusive. You can't do one and the other at the same time. You're either doing one or the other. That's it. And he's talking about this. Paul's laying this out. And he's saying, you know what? Bless people. What does that mean? It means to speak kindly of them. Not to call down a curse. To speak kindly, opposite of calling down a curse. What do you mean by calling down a curse? Well, we would think, well, it's got to be some kind of a special thing that they did. No, how about this? I hope he rots in hell. Really? Have you ever said that? Have you ever thought that? When somebody wrongs you, you go to that extreme, I hope they, I hope they rot in hell. That's calling down a curse. What other things could fill in? You fill it in because it's amazing. I struggle, and this sermon is tough for me because I see how far I fall short. But God's word says very clearly, bless and do not curse those who persecute you, who do evil against you. And if we, by God's grace, can have this heart of blessing and not cursing, what happens is this. Our heart will start changing, and it will enable us to do something. It will enable us to weep with our enemies that weep and rejoice with our enemies when they rejoice. You see, God's got to work that that heart in us to, I'm going to bless and not curse. And when we do, suddenly that changes how we respond. We will be able to weep with our enemies that weep. When we look at that, we think, you know what? I've been in ministry a long time. When you look at this, it says weep with those who weep. It doesn't say counsel with those who weep. Sometimes, most of the time, when somebody is hurting and God calls you there to minister to them, we need to understand that fewer words are usually better and wiser. I call it the ministry of presence. You're there. You put your arm around them. You love on them. Don't be like Job's three friends, giving them all this advice. Sometimes people just need you there. And so many times as we continue to speak to them, we can say things that we think are comforting that aren't. And then years later, you ask them, and I really didn't find that comforting at all. As a matter of fact, I took offense to that. So we weep with those who weep. 
We pull alongside them. We love them. And this is a lot more natural for us to weep with those who weep. If there are enemies, that's, we do that pretty natural because if something drastic happens, you have compassion in that area. And so even if it's a person of your, that is what you would consider an enemy or somebody that is against you, if something hard happens to them, we usually, generally speaking, can weep with those who weep in that area because of our hearts. It's far more difficult to rejoice with our enemies when they rejoice. Right? You ever think about that? It's so much harder to do that. You know? You ever think about how difficult that can be? Because our envy rises up. God is going to bless them with something that we want. And they got it and we didn't get it. And you need to rejoice with those who rejoice. Wow. Our pride gets in there. Well, they said this and about me or whatever might happen. And now this good thing has happened to them. And you're telling me I have to rejoice with them? Well, Scripture says rejoice. Rejoice with those who rejoice. In particular, he's looking at our, those who would do ill against us. Rejoice with those who rejoice. It's harder by far to rejoice with those who rejoice than to weep with those who weep, especially when it comes to our enemies. As I said earlier, maybe it's a blessing that you didn't get. They have a financial blessing that's poured out on them. And you're called to rejoice with them when you're just having a hard time making it? I don't see many conditions on this. How about this one? How about this one? Kind of maybe where somebody lives right now. You have been trying to get pregnant for years. And you have asked God and prayed. And you just can't get pregnant. And here's somebody who is your antagonist at work who had the same struggle as you, and suddenly they're pregnant. Wow. Rejoice with those who rejoice? You see how difficult that can be? But yet God's word calls us to this as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, as people who have been transformed, not conformed to, the, to this world, but transformed by the renewing of our minds, and he's coming out of that in, in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And he's laying it out from verses 3 through uh, 9, 10, 11 about how does that look like among the body of Christ. And now he's saying, you know what, now we're talking about your enemies, those people who are against you, who are persecuting you. And he's saying, here's how you respond to when, you're t- when you are spoken evil of. You need to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Very, very difficult. And it doesn't stop there. You see, this Christianity that by God's grace we are in the midst of, that we are walking in because of God calling us to himself, it just ch- it changes the world. Ron and I were talking about this before this service started. How you look at how Christianity changed the Roman Empire. How you see how Christianity changed the Nordic, the Vikings, as they 
as Christianity kept getting growing in their, in their areas and how it affected and changed that society because they acted different. They, well, who is this God? And so he says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And he goes even farther. Take a look at God's word. Verses 16 through 18. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And Matthew 5, 9 through 10. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What we see here is that God is calling us to bend over backwards to be at peace with all men. That includes our enemies. You know that verse in 828 that says, All things work for the good? Persecution by people who are, are your enemies, or they would classify that as, or you would classify it as that, or persecutors. That's all part of that, all things. It's in the uncomfortable part. Those are the parts we don't like to claim in God's word, right? I claim all things work for the good. And we go, persecution? All things work for the good. All things. What we see is that God has called us to be at peace with all. Now, that does not mean that we compromise with sin. That does not mean that we compromise with sin. I was watching a show on History Channel, and they were talking about Christians in the Roman Empire. And their view, the Romans' view was, let them alone if they don't cause any problems. But if they do, you, tell, you bring them before you, and basically they have to affirm that Caesar is their God or they're going to die. They had to say no. There will not be peace at all costs. I can't do that. So we need to understand when it talks about this, that does not mean that we compromise with sin or key biblical truths. We don't do that. We don't compromise in order to say, well, you know, no, I guess that's not sin. I guess that's not sin when the Word of God clearly says it is sin. No. I'm sorry. I, I, can't, I can love you as a person, but I can't say what you're doing is okay because it's not. It's sin in God's Word. So it's not peace at all costs, but we want to strive for peace. And we have to understand, as this word of God says, that peace or harmony will not always happen in your life. It's not always going to happen. It takes two. It used to be a, the statement was, it takes two to tango. It takes two to be at peace with all men, you and them. And if they choose not to be at peace, you can't force them. But what this verse is saying here is this, is that the Christian should not be responsible, or re, yeah, responsible for the lack of peace in a relationship. 
It shouldn't be because of us that there's no peace. It should be because we're still trying. We're still trying to love that person. Even though what they did to us was wrong, we still try to love them. And yet, now all of a sudden, they choose not to. We're still going to try to love them. We're not going to give them a reason to say, well, look at that. That's why. He responded like this. Dan responded like this. He says he's a Christian, but look at him. Difficult. Challenging. What we see is that this ability to live at peace with all and the ability to rejoice with those who rejoice, not rejoice for their downfall and not be sad for their success. How do you do that? This is so out there. So countercultural, so counter flesh. How do you do that? Well, part of the secret is in these verses. So how do you? How can you do that? How can you not return a curse for somebody who curses you, but bless those who curse you? How do you rejoice with those who rejoice when they're wanting your downfall? How do you do these things? It seems impossible, and it is in our own strength. But God's word makes it very clear that in order to walk in that, you have to be humble. We keep coming back to that word in this section in Romans chapter 12. We keep coming back to humility. Over and over again, we come back to it. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Verse 17, repay no evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. Talking about pride here. You see, we find again in this section of Scripture how the way we think determines or will affect how we live. The way we think affects how we live. And he's saying, you need this heart of humility in order to do these things, you've got to be a humble person because it's hard. We need God's Spirit to empower us. And part of that is praying for this spirit of humility that God would work that in us because humility enables, empowers selflessness. It empowers that. We talked about that in the beginning part of this chapter, how the gifts that God gave you are for his body. And in order to, to really walk in the truth of the body of Christ, you have to be humble because you have to admit the fact that I don't have it all together. It can't be all about me. You've got to have a humble spirit to really embrace the truth that we are a body of Christ and the gifts that God has given you are for the purpose of the body and to work and to use those gifts within the body, it all takes humility. And now he's coming right back around with this. He's saying it's not only true about, your, about your, the function of the body, it's also true about this whole thing with our enemies. It's about humility. The only way we can do this that God is calling us to do here is humility, to humble ourselves and to associate with those in low positions. 
Like I said, the gospel is so countercultural. What the world would consider lowly are the people that Jesus died for. The precious blood of Jesus shed for what the world would call lowly. People like me. People like you. It was amazing. As I was saying, I was watching this show, and they were saying how the gospel, in, when it was hitting Rome, Rome was at its peak, was at its power, and the gospel was coming in. And what was happening is the lowly people, the slaves, were the first to embrace the gospel because they, they had nothing. And all of a sudden, these Christians are calling each other brothers and sisters. Then there's a hope for the future. And they had never heard that. And they were starting to associate with them. And people of a higher social structure would actually talk to them if they were believers. And it was just shaking the Roman Empire from the bottom up. Associate with the lowly. You can see how this is written to the Romans. And now you have all these upper, you know, you have this caste system in Rome. And he's saying, you know what, if you're a believer, you associate with the lowly, the gladiators, the slaves. Don't look the other way. Humble yourself. That's what he's talking about here. Humility that would enable selflessness, that would enable us to associate with people of lowly positions that would flip the world upside down. Amazing what is happening here. And you have to realize that humbly pursuing peace is the antidote for revenge. Humbly pursuing peace is the antidote for revenge. Take a look at God's word. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And then James chapter 1, verse 20 The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Our anger and our vengeance to get even with people that have done wrong to us is our natural human instinct. We do that naturally. That's why this is, you can't do this without the Spirit of God transforming you. Without receiving this gift of salvation we were sinners separated from God because we sinned all of sin and fall short of the glory of God and then it says that you know what then the wages of sin is death you're forever separated from God and all the good works in the whole world will never balance that out you know it's like I always say it's not like you know you committed murder and you stand before the judge and you say listen most of the days I was pretty good this last year but I had that one bad day just forget about it no you committed a crime sin is a crime against God And so we were in this place where there was no hope. And Jesus came, lived the perfect sinless life for us because we can't. Lived the perfect sinless life and then went to the cross and was punished for our sins, for the sins of all who would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the great exchange happens. 
God looks at Christ's righteousness, his perfect obedience to the law, and his righteousness is imputed to us. It's, it's considered as if we did it. And our sins were punished in Christ as if he had committed them. And now we can come into this glorious relationship with God. And when we do, God doesn't stop there. In his kindness and his goodness, he doesn't leave us the way we were. But he starts transforming us. He starts changing us. He transforms our minds. He renews our minds so that we think differently. And his spirit dwells within us and he empowers us to live differently. Christ died on the cross and he paid the penalty for your sin, but he also broke the power of sin in your life. And we see what God has done in his, in his son. And he says, you know what? I'm going to... I'm going to give you ways to live like this. Be humble and pursue peace. Because if you pursue peace, you're not going to want revenge. That, that draw that is naturally there will go, be gone. Because the truth of the matter is that we should never react to sin by sinning. Never, never should. We should never be overcome by sin and be participants in sin because somebody sinned against us. That's what God's word is challenging us to do here. You say, wait, wait a minute. What about all those psalms where David's talking about, yeah, do this to my enemy? They call them the imprecatory psalms. Well, those are dealing with national issues. David is representing the nation of Israel and he's He's saying, you know what? Deal with this, God. Handle it. How many times could David have killed Saul? And he didn't. It's amazing. Revenge is even contrary to what society considers right. We talked about this earlier in the book of Romans, that God has put this sense of right and wrong in every man. And even in people who are absolutely lost, there's a sense of right and wrong. And even our society understands that taking the law into your own hands is wrong. And so even society understands that this is not the right thing to do. We also understand that revenge does not lead to peace, but keeps this hostility cycle going. Feuds, family feuds. They're not going to let it go. They're just going to, I'm going to, they did this to my family. You think of honor killings. Gangs in the inner cities. Well, they took out one of my boys. We're going to take out one of theirs. And it just keeps going on and on and on because we're going to get even. Revenge just produces additional hostility, additional pain. Revenge usurps a task that only belongs to God. That's what, he says. I, that's what it says in God's word. I will repay, says the Lord, in verse 19. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So what we do is we get to this place where we say, you know what, God, I'm, I'm going to pursue peace, and I'm going to trust that you're going to take this in your hands. And I ask you for the salvation of this person who has been attacking me, who has been persecuting me. Lord, I ask you for their salvation, but I trust you this, Lord, that you will take vengeance on where it needs to be taken vengeance on. 
I'll trust you, God. And that's where this heaping burning coals on your head comes in. Because a lot of people have a lot of things that they think this is what it means. Well, an Egyptian custom, it was actually an Egyptian custom, that you would carry burning coals on your head if you were repenting. You did something wrong, you're going to repent. So you put these burning coals on the top of your head. Some people said it was related to, well, if your fire went out, so you'd go to your next door neighbor, and then you'd get a live coal from them, and you'd put it on your head, and you'd bring it over to your house, and you'd start the fire. We can't find any of that. But what we can find, and this is where I default, is that we can take a look in the Old Testament, and when God is talking about coals and fire, he's talking about his judgment. He's talking about his judgment that judgment will be coming. So what is this a picture of then? What does it seem to be about? It seems to be that the more a person rejects God's mercy and God's grace in the gospel, they are heaping more judgment upon themselves for the day when judgment will be meted out. The very response to what it's talked about here. God says, don't take revenge, that's mine. Don't do it. Trust me, Dan. I will handle this situation. I will handle it. It's like heaping coals, burning coals on their head. If they don't repent, and we pray for their repentance and their salvation, but if they don't, they're just building up judgment upon themselves. We usurp God's authority. Okay, so Dan, what you're telling us is we're supposed to be total pacifists. Nope, I'm not saying that. This might anger some people. No. I'm here to tell you that when somebody is coming after you or your family to do you harm, physical harm, you do what it takes to stop that. Don't take more, but you take the necessary steps to protect yourself and to protect your family. Be careful that you just go so far as what is necessary because all of a sudden we want to take that extra little step. We want to take that extra step and kind of give them more than what they came after. But no, this doesn't mean that we should be pacifists totally. It says that we should protect those whom we love. Do not retaliate later got to be careful with that one. You know, I, I see stories sometimes, and it is amazing to me. You know, a mother whose son was murdered by somebody, that person gets out of jail, and the mother of the kid who was murdered helps that murderer of her son find a place to live, literally right next door so she can bless them. How do you do that? Only God. Only God can give us that. It's got to be a work of God. But it's not like we just stand back and say, okay, let it happen, Jesus. Like some magic wand over us. And so we see that God is doing this. And to be able to respond like this is amazing. But if somebody comes after you, no. Defend yourself. Defend your family with the proper amount of force. And then you do what Paul does. You know, Paul, when you look at this, Paul's writing Romans. He's been on both sides of this whole deal right here, right? He was the one who persecuted the Christians, right? And now, and on the other side, and he was the one that was being persecuted. Paul is amazing, so he's writing this from a unique perspective. 
And what did Paul do many times? He used the authorities that were there to bring justice to the system or to, to him when he was treated wrongly. He utilized the proper authorities to protect himself. And we are too. We're going to talk about that next week. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. Read ahead. Honestly, this is what happened this last Wednesday. We had a prayer meeting here. I want to encourage you to come every other week. And I told the guys that were there, the people that were there, I said, listen, I have two very difficult sermons to preach in the next two weeks that are really going to go against our flesh. So please, please pray for me that I would be able to deliver it in love and compassion, but that our, the people's hearts would receive it and that it would bear fruit. So next week I get to talk about the government and our response to it, right? Pray for me. Pray for all of us. But what I'm saying is that, you know, Paul took that and he understood that there was an authority there and that he was going to use that authority to protect himself, to bring justice to somebody who was uh, persecuting him or doing wrong to him. And so should we. So should we. When we get to this place, we realize this, that we're talking about revenge here. You say, I don't, I don't ever seek revenge, Dan. I'm not like that. How about this? Do you return evil for evil? You can parse words all you want. But do you return evil for evil? Because if you do, that's still forbidden. You may not plot evil towards someone, but you sure as heck aren't blessing them. This is the part that the Lord laid on my heart the heaviest this week. What about at home? Spouses? Somebody, your spouse has an unkind word to you. How do you respond? Evil for evil? Well, I don't do anything, Dan. I just give them the cold shoulder. Explain to me how that's blessing them. You see, this is right where we live. It's this, this idea that God calls us to live in a way that is so countercultural, so unnatural, that his spirit has to empower us to do this. And so many times we read these words and we go, well, I'm not being persecuted, I don't look for revenge. And then you start looking at it a little deeper and you realize, hey, really? How do you respond to your spouse? How do you respond to your children? How do you respond to your parents? They don't treat you kindly. Something happens. Do you return evil for evil? It's difficult not to. It's our flesh. We want to do that. We want to strike them with our words. Maybe it's just the way we say the words. You know that voice inflection that we can use? I know it because I use it. And we say the right thing, but everybody knows the intent isn't there. The intent is more evil than good. It's those types of things that we do. We use words we don't speak. Hey, here's one. Let me ask you this. What would happen if I looked at your social media? Would I see people returning love for cursing? Would I see people uh, returning good for evil? What would I see in your social media? 
I mean, it's right out there. It's, it's right there. And if people know you're a Christian, it's right there in black and white or whatever color it is. Are you returning evil for evil or are you returning good for evil? How is your social media, what does it look like? How does your social media glorify God in this area? Difficult, challenging. But we need to address these issues. I want to say this, that if you've already paid back evil with evil, humble yourself. Humble yourself. And go talk to that person. And I I would, hear me, don't apologize to them. I'm sorry I did that. Instead, ask for their forgiveness. What I did was wrong. I sinned against you. Would you please forgive me? Because apologies, for me at least, are a lot easier than asking for forgiveness. And I want to do what would most honor God. So go ask for forgiveness. And then God goes to another level. We think, this is impossible, Dan. Yep. God's got to do the work. He goes another level. It's not that we simply abstain from evil, but that we would pursue how to bless our enemies. There should be something practical we do. That's what it's saying here. Look, have, uh, I will repay, says the Lord, but if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but uh, overcome evil with good. He says, uh, no, must have been in the previous one. But what he's talking about, he says, you look for a way to bless them. Not just not return evil, but now you need to bless them. Look for a need that they have and meet that need. Wow! Meet that need. You say, well, aren't we excusing their misdeeds? No. Their misdeeds are still wrong and sinful but we're going to love them in spite of their sin against us. Kind of reminds me of what Jesus did for us. Huh? Kind of reminds me of that. Not just before I knew Christ, but even today. That you would return good for evil, Lord. You would love me. You would grant me mercy and grace today when I sin against you. And the answer is yes. Because of who God is. You see, when we, by God's grace, can live like this, what we do is we reflect God's mercy and grace to people. It's an extension of what God has done for us. Remember last week when I said that God has given gifts to his people. And those gifts are for the purpose of God glorifying his name through people. That God gave the, the grace to have this gift, and now he's going to use that gift to bring himself glory as it's used. Here we see the same principle. God says, you know what? When you can live like this, what happens is people will see my grace and my mercy. It will be a witness to a lost world. We will bless those who treat us wrongly, whether it's a small thing or a great thing. Take a look at God's word again. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. See, we can't get around these sections of Scripture, can we? We can't cut them out. 
because they make us uncomfortable. They call us to live counterculturally, unnaturally in a sense. You see, what revenge is is this. It's when we pay back evil with interest. We pay back evil with interest. And then we have what we would call justice. And justice only seeks the appropriate repayment or retribution. And the third one is grace. Because what grace does is it blesses when we're cursed. And it returns good for evil. That's grace. Again, take a look at God's word. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is the type of stuff it's talking about, not to win a wrestling match or a basketball game. Okay? This is the kind of stuff. I can do all things. You look at these verses, I can't do that in my own strength. And you are correct. But it says here, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That includes Romans chapter 12, 14 through 21. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 1 Peter 3, 9. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to, to, to this you were called. This is what we're called to, that you may obtain a blessing. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Brothers and sisters, the point of this message is this. By grace, overcome evil that is done to you with good. It is not natural and it is not easy to do. It is unattainable without the Holy Spirit indwelling us and God's grace enabling us. I get that. But it's still in the word of God. And if we respond to evil with good and continue to respond in love, It'll be a testimony to the lost world around us. It will bring honor to Jesus. And please hear this. It'll make us victors, not victims. That was something I saw yesterday in a video. They were talking about the Christians coming into the Colosseum and being slaughtered. This is a show that is not Christ-centered in that sense. It just supposed to be information. And it was very interesting what the commentator said. He said, these Christians were brought in and they were slaughtered in front of the Roman people. And he said, and the people in the stands were thinking that these people were victims. And this guy said, they weren't victims, they were victors. Because they stood for what they believed for their God. See, that's what we're talking about. here. That when we are able to live like this, we're not victims, we're victors. We're doing what honors God, and he's empowering us. And that's the call that he has placed on our lives. By his grace, we can walk in it, amen? Why? Because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let's pray. Lord, we stand in awe of you today. God, this is such a hard word for us, for all of us. And God, the only way we can live like this is by your grace and your spirit empowering us. I, I ask that you bring repentance within families, Lord, where we have uh, returned evil for evil. God, do a work in our own hearts. Give us a vision to live like this so that your name would be glorified, God. And I pray this all in Jesus' glorious and beautiful name. Amen. Let's.